Today we're going to talk about evil. Uh, evil is real, and that's one of the weird things about evil. We, sometimes we think of evil as an action, like people do wicked things or evil things, but, but there's a force of evil in the world. And I'm going to give you some, some general oversight for that from my perspective. Whenever I was uh, a college student, I guess, I picked up and began reading uh, the works of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis is most well known for writing the Chronicles of Narnia, um, but uh, he was an atheist who became a Christian and wrote a lot of books uh, about theology as well. And one of his books um, that C.S. Lewis wrote was called The Screwtape Letters. Uh, and Screwtape Letters is basically a series of fictional letters um, that C.S. Lewis wrote. Uh, and the, the plot is basically uh, there's like a demon hierarchy. Uh, and you have a, a master demon writing to like a, 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 a demon who has just got his first assignment. Uh, and so Screwtape is this uh, kind of demon mid-level manager, uh, and he's writing letters to his uh, protege and encouraging him on how to be an effective demon. And that's the, uh, the baseline point of Screwtape letters. But one of, the, one of the points that C.S. Lewis makes in there is that people uh, are bound to fall in one of two uh, directions when it comes down to the work of demons in the world. Uh, the first error that we fall into is we think that everything is demonic. Uh, right? Every rustling sound is a demon in the woods, right? Every, every cough that we get is a demon um, that, that's oppressing us, right? I have two children at home sick right now, and uh, if I thought there was a demon in every bush, I'd be uh, come, calling in an exorcist, right, to cleanse my house from the, uh, the, the wickedness in there. But, but really, what, what my kids are dealing with is called a virus, right? And uh, it's kind of, a, kind of a thing that we all deal with at different times. Right? So that's one error is that we're overly focused on the demonic, that we think that the demonic is super powerful and prevalent and everything that ever happens is based on the demonic. The other error is the opposite side of that, is that we don't believe that there's anything uh, evil in this world and that everything has a naturalist, uh, a, a natural explanation for it. So every, everything that goes on, we try to say, well, what's the natural explanation for this problem? Uh, the truth is, it's somewhere in the middle. There are actual beings, uh, the Bible describes them many times, uh, called demons. And their work, right, is to do the work of wickedness on the earth. And they do that through a variety of ways. Uh, and today we're going to talk about demon possession, right? And there's a man that's going to be demon possessed and Jesus is going to take care of that problem. Um, but for most of us, we don't deal with demon possession on a day-by-day -day basis, right? That's not what we deal with, at least not uh, expressing itself this way. But we do deal with evil on a day-by-day -day basis. And we need to recognize that evil is not a mistake. Sometimes we, we say that, right, about sin. We say it's a mistake. Uh, you know, that person made an error. They made a bad choice, right? It's, it's evil. Evil is a force at work, and it fights against the force of good, which God is. And, and, and we have to see how can good overcome evil. That's what we're going to talk about today. So if you have your Bibles, open to a, a, a Mark, sorry, Mark chapter 5. We're working through the book of Mark. Remember, Jesus has just calmed the waters, right? He was in the middle of a storm. He was sleeping. The disciples freaked out and said, hey, don't you care? We're all about to die. And then he gets up, he speaks a word, and peace falls on top of uh, all of the waters, right? And the disciples look at him and say, whoa, who is this guy that even the seas and the wind obey his word, right? He speaks and even the seas and the wind obey what he does. This guy is different. The disciples are beginning to picture that Jesus has some unique power. So they're, they're in the boat, and this is where we pick up in verse 5. It says, They came 
to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, this is a troubled man, right? And we, and we might see this person like today, contemporarily walking down the street, this person like punching the air and screaming at themselves, right? And, and we, have a, we have a diagnosis for that, right? We say that person has uh, some sort of psychosis, right? They're schizophrenic or they have some uh, mental disorder. This man presented as if he had a natural mental disorder, but Jesus immediately recognized what he was dealing with was not a, a slightly diseased mind, what he was dealing with was not uh, too much drug exposure as a young person, right? What he was dealing with was he had an unclean spirit. And what his unclean spirit caused him to do was to be someone who could not live in community anymore, right? He was totally isolated. He had to live out on, on a graveyard. And if you were a Jewish man living in a cemetery, that would make you perpetually unclean. You could never go into town. You could never uh, eat a meal with your family because there was always at least a seven-day waiting period before you were allowed to be declared clean to be around people. And so he was always unclean. He was never allowed uh, to be with his family and what were his friends once upon a time. Right? He was a broken man. Not only was he living in a graveyard, right? he had some sort of superhuman strength, right? People would bind him to try to control him, to calm him down, uh, right? And they would try to get him to, 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 to be subdued, and he would break chains apart, right? That's pretty strong, right? I, I can't break a chain apart. You give me like the thin little chains, and I can't break those apart. Right? This, is a, this guy's got some sort of superhuman strength going on, right? Something beyond the natural is going on inside of his body. Right? That's what Jesus is trying to point out, what Mark's trying to point out here, is that this guy had something supernatural about him. Something beyond what you can explain was going on in his body. And then the other thing that he's known for doing, not only does he live in a graveyard away from everybody, not only does he have this kind of supernatural strength um, that, that's upon him, the third thing that he has is he is self-destructive. Right? He, he's constantly uh, cutting himself and harming himself. And this is a common feature of demon possession in the Bible. If you remember, there's a story of a, a little boy, I think it is, who's demon possessed, and they would th he would throw himself into the fire, right? Or throw himself into water to try to kill himself. All right, guys, evil forces work to destroy people, right? That's what evil does in the world. The, the game that Satan is playing on this earth is he is seeking to destroy people, good people, normal people, into absolutely destroy them. Maybe you've seen some people in your life who, who had their life kind of together. Things looked like they were going well, and then all of a sudden, something took root in their life, and then they went crazy, right? And they may not have gone crazy like this, where they're breaking chains apart and wandering around cutting themselves, but they threw away everything that they had, everything that they prioritized, everything that they thought was important to them. They lost because something took over them, right? I have a friend of mine, a uh, I just heard about it. It was a guy who I, who I'd consider to be a fairly good friend of mine, right? His life was under control, had a family that was pretty happy and pretty healthy, and, and you know, those families, there's always some problems, right? But then just in the last, you know, six months or so, 
He, he's, he's throwing it all away. Right? He's throwing his family away. He's throwing his relationship with his kids away. He, he, he's throwing all of that away to pursue after something else. And what he's pursuing after is the wickedness in his heart. That's what he's headlong jumping into. He is dealing with evil. Right? And I'll be praying for that guy because he's a guy who I love. Right? I know him. I know him better than he knows himself right now. Right? Well, he is in the midst of the wickedness. And when evil has his hands on him, I, I know this guy better than that. Some of you have seen these people, right? They've given up everything to chase after something worth. A lot of time it, it, it presents like my friend, right? Where they give up on their family, they give up on their job, they give up on their, uh, everything that used to matter, and they chase after something. You know, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be women or men, I suppose, right? It could be any, any of the variety of, of things out there, right? But a lot of people lose their lives chasing evil. I know people who, who've gone into to the bottle, right? And the bottle has taken over their lives. And now they can't put the bottle down. And when they do, right, there is a wicked fight that takes part of them. Guys, alcoholism is a disease. It's a legit disease. Your body becomes dependent on alcohol. But the, the cause behind that is evil. Evil is what leads to that. And I'm not, I'm not a, uh, I am a teetotaler myself, right? But I'm not here to tell you that drinking alcohol is the grave sin. I don't believe that drinking alcohol is a grave sin, but I will tell you this, that what alcohol can do to you when it gets its hands on you can be absolutely evil. And so you need to be in control of that, right? If you choose to partake of alcohol, uh, God bless you as you do, but when you do that, make sure you're the one in control and that you're, you're not being controlled, because when it gets control of you, it can ruin your life. And we've seen it, right? We've seen people's lives utterly destroyed by alcohol, by drugs. This man's life was destroyed by this unclean spirit. This unclean spirit was trying to harm him. Guys, sin tries to harm us. Evil tries to harm us. It seeks to destroy us. But the good news is that sin doesn't get the final word because Jesus Christ shows up. Right? This guy lived his life. We don't know how long he'd been living out there in the mountains and on the graveyard, but Jesus Christ shows up. And in that moment, when Jesus Christ arrives after speaking to the water and the waves, uh, all of a sudden, everything is going to be okay because the Son of God can fix any problem. Any problem that you experience, any wickedness that you see, any sin that's going on, any broken relationships that you have are fixed through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ shows up, and we pick up in verse 6, and it says, And when he saw the, de the demon-possessed man, the demon saw Jesus from afar. He saw Jesus coming over in the boat, and he races down to Jesus. He runs, and he fell down before him. This is interesting, by the way, right? You have this demon-possessed man, this guy who fights for the force of evil. Everything about him is wickedness. And then when goodness shows up, right? Jesus Christ, by definition, is goodness. Evil falls down before it. Right, this is a preview of what we're going to get at the end times, right? Every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? This is happening right here in this moment. This wicked, demon-possessed person races down to Jesus and falls down before him, not necessarily in worship, but in understanding that he is helpless to stand before the Son of God. And so the demon-possessed man is there, and this is what he says. He cries out with a loud voice. And he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you that I beg you by God, do not torment me. 
This demon-possessed man is terrified. The demons inside of him, the man is, is, is just a host, right? He doesn't even have any control of himself. But the demons inside of him are, are terrified at what Jesus is about to do. They know Jesus and they identify who Jesus is. You are the son of the most high God. That means there's nothing over you. You're on top, and I can't fight against that, right? He could go back to his mid-level manager boss, right, uh, in the demon world. By the way, I don't know if that's how they're structured, right? But he could go back to, to bring in another demon and another demon and another demon. In fact, there was probably about 6,000 already hanging out in this guy. But those 6,000 demons or so could not stand in the presence of the, of the Son of the Most High. Guys, this is hope for us today. This is hope for your family. This is hope for our friends who have wandered deep into sin. And this is hope for us whenever we find ourselves grasped by evil. As there, there, there is a force stronger than evil. There is something bigger and greater and more powerful than the wickedness in this world, and that is good news. It's not good news for evil, right? He's terrified. You're going to torment me. Please don't torment me. I know what you're doing. I know what you can do. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. And so Jesus said, it says verse 8, for Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus is casting the demons out, and then Jesus asks the, the, the man, or really the demons inside of him, he says, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the word Legion, right, it, it, it means, a, it's a military term. Uh, for an army in the Roman uh, world, and there was about 6,000 soldiers. That's why we say there was about 6,000. Regardless, there was tons of demons inside of this guy. Right? He was so, so polluted. And if we saw him, like if we saw him on the street, we would say, that guy is a lost cause. I, I see those people on that street, right? literally right there walking down the street, punching the air, talking to themselves. I see them, right? I've spoken to them. They come in my office, right? And people say they're a lost cause. There's no hope for these people, people who have been given over to wickedness, given over to evil itself. But Jesus uh, speaks to this person. He says, who are you? We're legion, we're many. And so this, 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 this horde of demons is inside of him. And so what goes on from there, it says, Then the, 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 the legion begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This is weird, by the way. They're playing let's make a deal with Jesus. Right? They're like, all right, so you're here. You want to take back people. By the way, this is a, a fun fact. Uh, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost people. Mankind has a special position in God's kingdom. Right, we, are, we are uniquely made in the image of God. If you go back to the, the book of Genesis 1 and 2, it talks about how we are precious to God. You're special to God. God made you special just the way you are. And because you're so special to God, because you're, you're this pinnacle of God's creative power, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. And so Jesus is coming to take care of this man because the, the miracle is about to take a turn in, in what's going to happen. And so the, the, the demons are begging Jesus not to send him out of the country. And so Jesus says, okay, go over there. And he sends them right, right, right there immediately. He says, uh, a herd of great pigs, verse 11, was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him. They said, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And so what did Jesus do? He gave them 
permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. By the way, their, their, their whole desire to murder and kill and destroy was met there. Or they wanted to destroy the man, but something inside of the man, maybe it's just the fact that God's grace rested a little bit on this man, prevented him from leading himself to his ultimate death. The instant that they're sent to these pigs, 2,000 pigs rush to the sea and they die. And some people look at this and say, man, that's a massacre of a bunch of pigs. That's really tragic. But the truth is God didn't come to seek and to save pigs. Right? Right? He didn't come to earth to die for pigs. He came to earth to die for people. Jesus came to make peace with people. I'm not saying animals aren't important. God has given us stewardship of creation. But there is a difference between your dog and my daughter. And it's a big difference. It's not insignificant. It's not insubstantial. Right? It's a big difference. There's a difference between your, your, your cat and... Well, not really a difference between your cat and the devil, right? I mean, they're basically the same. But... right. right. <laughs> Right, there's a difference between, between your prized pet and the worst person on the face of this earth. And now I know a lot of us would die for our animals and we may not die for the person who's, who's just, just an absolute terrible human being because we say the animals aren't making bad choices and this person is, but Jesus Christ did the exact opposite. Right? He sought out after the most broken, beat-up person and he made him well. And there was a cost for that, right? I mean, the expense was 2,000 pigs. They're unclean animals, but they're still animals, right? And the pigs weren't doing anything wrong. They were just hanging out, doing pig stuff, right? Rooting around in the dirt, I guess. I don't know. But it, because of that, these pigs died, and this man was made well. Guys, that's the way it has to be sometimes, though. Something else has to suffer to make us well. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. He died on the cross so you could be well. There's this picture of sacrificial atonement where something else gets punished in the place of us is all throughout the Bible. Right, I'm going through the book of Genesis with my small group. We read about Isaac, right? He's on the mountainside. Abraham's about to kill Isaac because God told him to. And in that moment, God stays his hand and provides something else to be sacrificed in the place of Isaac. A ram was caught by its horn. God sacrifices something else in the place of us. Every year on the Day of Atonement, they would bring in a, 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 a goat and they would slaughter the goat, right, for the sins of the people. Right? It would stand in the place of the people. Uh, sacrificial atonement that someone else has got to get punished so that we can receive grace is a good truth. But it's not always pleasant to think about. Because we like to be responsible for our own decisions. We're Americans, after all, and we like to, to bear our responsibility. We don't like to think that someone else can take care of it for us. But if you want to bear the responsibility of your sin on yourself, by yourself, for yourself, you will never be made well. You will never be made well. It's only through accepting that Christ died for you. In your place where you should die, where you should be punished, that you can receive grace. These pigs died so that this man could be made well. Right? God loved him. Jesus saw him. And God made him well, but it was at the expense of something else. So the herdsmen, verse 14, fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and then what had happened to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. So as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might go with them. But Jesus said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Guys, this is, this is the, the end of the story, but, but Jesus has done this miracle. The pigs have taken the, the demons. The man is now clothed, sitting in his right mind. Imagine that, by the way. Like, you have a guy, and he's the town crazy, right? He's the crazy guy in town, out of town, and everyone knows him, right? Kids have been throwing rocks at him for probably, you know, several months. They go out there and throw a rock at him, and they run away, right, because he comes out, rah, right? I mean, we can, we can picture how this would work out, right? And so, and so, like, he's kind of this monster who lives on the hill, legit monster living on the hill and then people run into town and say guys something weird just happened and the guys who are, are in charge of the pigs and everything they all get together with the townspeople and this guy is now sitting clothed and in his right mind right he's like man how about that weather right i didn't know this guy was so blue i didn't right like all of a sudden this guy who you couldn't have a rational conversation with who was so corrupted inside of him is well and and i love the response of the people they were afraid it's the same way the disciples were after jesus calmed the waters they were afraid because no one can fix that degree of brokenness right no amount of like like if 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 you bring in one of the town crazies into my office no amount of my time spending with the people in our town who are dealing with mental disorders and demonic disorders and whatever they've got can i fix them but i don't have that power my 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 bachelor's in psychology will not go that far right i can't fix it i can talk to them i can try to give them tools but it's probably not going to work because i can't fix it but god can and they saw on that man the power of god displayed and someone who was so messed up became whole in a second and they were scared. Right? When the power of God shows up, it can be a scary thing for people outside. Right? They, they see like, well, you were something, and now you're something else, and that, that, that scares people. Right? And they were so scared that they told Jesus, please, just leave. Right? He just fixed the biggest problem in their community. Right? He took the crazy guy on the mountainside and made him into a regular citizen. Right? The, the, the blight on their community was removed by Jesus Christ showing up, and all they could say is, please leave. We don't know what else you're going to do. Your power is too great. Your strength is too powerful. We can't have you around us. Please, please leave. And the, and the cool thing is, Jesus says, okay. All right, Jesus doesn't force himself upon them, right? Uh, it might be C.S. Lewis, but it's a, it's a quote, and it basically says, you know, God is a gentleman, he will never force himself upon you. He only woos. Right? He doesn't force you to be around him. He doesn't force you to have him. But he will try to woo you through the works that he does. The love that he demonstrates to mankind. And so they're begging him to leave. So Jesus gets in the boat to leave. 
He's fixed this problem. He's shown his power over forces of evil. And then he gets in the boat to leave. And the man who was made well. Right, the man whose life had been ruined by, by demonic possession, who had been ruined for, for however long he'd been living on the graveyard, all of a sudden he runs up to Jesus and says, let me come with you. Right, and this is the proper response, by the way. When Jesus does a miracle in your life, you just should desire to follow him wherever he goes. Right? He says, let me come with you, please. I'll go with you, please let me go with you. And instead, Jesus says, no, you can't come with me. Go tell your family, go tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. And this man is sent out as an evangelist. He is one of the first evangelists sent out by Jesus Christ to share the gospel message that there is someone who has power over all things. And look at what he's done in my life. And his life change testimony, right, is a powerful shine, powerful sign of what God can and has done. Guys, the life change that you've experienced, if you know Jesus Christ, when God has come into your life and transformed you, is a powerful message. Some of you are like, well, I wasn't ever a demon-possessed man living in a graveyard, so like my, my testimony isn't that powerful. You know, we go to church camp sometimes, and then the guys at church camp have the worst lives. You know, it's the guy who speaks at church camp. He's always like, he's been a drug addict, and like a womanizer, and he was in prison for 19 years, and then God found him, and his life was changed. You're like, why didn't I do all that stuff, right? Like, then I'd have a powerful testimony. If I had been, you know, strung out on drugs, and 48 kids, and man, and then God could have got me, and I could have had a powerful testimony, right? But, but, but just because some people have gone through hell to get to Jesus Christ doesn't mean that those of us who have been raised in the church don't have a testimony of power. Right, like, like my testimony is like I was raised in church. I grew up in church. I grew up in churches just like this my whole life. Right, when I was 15 years old, Jesus Christ called me to repent of my sins, and my sins were great. Pride, right? Still pride. Right, my mouth was 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 terrible. Lust, envy, the things that that were who I was. That that was who I was. And in the midst of God calling me to be his, he made me something different. How great is God to do that? I mean, how great is God to that? Your testimony is a powerful word to your next door neighbor. We should be sharing that with our next door neighbor. We should be sharing where we were and where God has taken us to be. And if you don't know where you were, you might think back about who you were without Jesus Christ. Because we're not good without him but he begs him says can i come with you but instead jesus commissions him out to be the first uh, messenger of, of, of the gospel of jesus christ so if, you, if you've overcome evil if god has delivered you from something evil you have the responsibility to proclaim the goodness of god to the world around you you have that responsibility but if you haven't yet overcome it maybe you're here today and you're still caught up in the same garbage that you've been caught up in for the last 20 years you don't think there's hope. You don't think there's victory. You think that, 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 that if you just try harder, maybe you'll get it right. But you've tried harder a lot. Right? You tried harder last week, and it didn't work out. And you tried harder last year, and it didn't work out. You know, sometimes it's not about our effort. It's about us coming to Jesus Christ and letting Jesus Christ work on our lives. 
Jesus Christ has power over all forces of evil. He, he controlled 6,000 demons or so at the, at the sound of his voice. Your problem can be handled. Your alcoholism can be handled. Your pornography addiction can be handled. Your prescription drug addiction can be handled. The fact that you hate people, you hate people, can be handled. God's grace is big enough and His power is sufficient to take care of all of our problems. And He's not tired when He's done with it. But we've got to rest on Him. We've got to call out to Him and we've got to allow Him to do the work that needs to be done because He still beats evil. And we know at the end, right, when this thing is done, when this ball that we're living on is wrapped up and everything is concluded, evil will be finished and goodness will survive. Jesus Christ overcomes evil. He overcomes evil in the lives of individuals. He's going to overcome evil in the life of the world. And today, he's calling out for those of you who are still caught up. And he's saying, guys, just, just come home. I love, uh, I mean, we may be singing softly and tenderly. That may be the song we're singing. But I love the, I love the idea of softly and tenderly. It's, it's calling, O sinner, come home. All right, those of us who are caught, caught up in it, we're tangled up in sin, we're messed up, we're, we're all burdened down with sin. And Jesus is like, you know what? Just, just come home. Stop. God's got you covered. God's grace is sufficient to cover your sins. He can conquer all evil. He will deliver you if you're oppressed. Just call out to him today.